Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Global game at the World Cup. Just 24 hours to go before Australia take on Argentina in the round of 16. Today, we'll look at the opposition and how the Socceroos might just spring another surprise at this World Cup of shocks. We'll also review the final day's action in the group stage, which saw groups G and H draw to a close. And we'll look ahead to the other round of 16 game between the Netherlands and the USA. All to come in the next hour on SEN. And of course, you can always tweet us at our Twitter page at Global Game SEN. Uh, but first, our daily hot topic, thanks to Guzman y Gomez, fast food that athletes say yes to. Our topic today is the rule on the whole of the ball being over the line. Not the goal line, not goal line technology but over the line in terms of over the byline or the sidelines. Now, this is particularly pertinent, of course, with uh, Japan having scored their second goal through Al Tanaka yesterday, despite the ball to the naked eye having seemingly crossed the byline for a goal kick. Uh, the goal was allowed upon review because the curvature of the ball, this is according to FIFA, remained inside the field of play, even though the portion of the ball touching the ground was clearly outside. Now, this has caused a bit of consternation around the world. Is it time IFAB readjusted the rule? Well, for me, no. I think this is a great rule. The whole of the ball needs to cross the line. And when you kick the ball, the whole of the ball is in play, not just the bit that's touching the ground. So it makes perfect sense. What I would like to see, and this is not limited to this particular rule, is the VAR pictures uh, that give us the decision also give us the definitive a whole lot quicker for fans both watching at home and inside the stadium. If you're going to use the modern technology, then don't just use it for yourselves. The fans are the people who pay their money to watch the games. Make sure you keep them fully informed at all times. And at the moment, a lot of these replays, which we were assured use the very latest technology and were decided in a matter of seconds, seem to take an age to be uploaded onto TV screens and on big screens at the stadiums. Marginal offsides are regularly taking the best part of 15 minutes to be broadcast. Is that the technology's fault? Or is it TV directors choosing when to show it? Anyway, as usual, the fans are kept in the dark, and that, for me, is what is wrong. Technology, great, so long as the fans are brought along for the ride. If it remains an exclusive rather than inclusive piece of apparatus, then supporters will continue to get irked. 
Cozzy, anything to add? It's an interesting topic, this one. Like, I, I don't agree with you about the ball on the line. Okay. I, I would have looked at that and to the naked eye, as far as I was concerned, that ball was out. Now, I've seen all of the pictures. And um, you're still not convinced? No, no, no. I think it was like the part of the ball touching the ground was obviously outside the field of play, but we're talking about, what, two millimetres of the circumference of the ball, which, by the error of parallax, could have... Um, it, it just depends on where it turns out. Like, I, I would like to see some part of the ball in contact with the line. Or so at least some part of... OK, because yeah, half the ball. For me, that was, as far as I was concerned, that was out. It went out. I mean, there were other reasons, I think. You know, the goalkeeper probably should have cut it out. He didn't expect it to go where it did, and he was going backwards instead of attacking the ball. There was a whole lot of football stuff involved in that decision as well, but um, the Japanese stayed alive, um, and that's what got that ball in the back of that. The Spanish went to sleep. Um, but the fact is, I, for me, that was out. The technology side of it, and I agree with you certainly about the VAR, I cannot, with what's available to us today, understand why it takes so long to get a decision on mm. anything, whether it's offside, handball, free kicks, yellow cards, red cards, whatever. It takes an age, and I don't know. Now, obviously, they look at it, and the VAR officials are having their own little debate off air about yes, no, and then checking the rule books. And it's so it still comes down to a human decision. Of course it does. Until. Yeah. They get a view of the picture. Yeah, which so, has always been my my argument with VAR. All you are doing is adding another human opinion with a little bit more technology. Yeah. The problem I see coming with this is that the more we start stopping and starting and then putting stuff up on screens, it's going to get up like American football. Yeah. You know, are they going to, you know, in years to come, long after we're dead and gone, mate, that uh, they, might, they might be having... Offensive plays and they'll swap the, def- <laughs> the takers and defenders. Who knows? Well, I mean, we're already seeing that inside the stadiums, aren't we? Virtual reaction replays or whatever they call them. You, you call that out to me in the, in the stadium the other day saying, what the heck is this on the big screen? It's rubbish. <laughs> I want to see uh, real football. I don't need to see animations. Well, I, I think that the, the problem is, and, and you and I, let's be honest, Cosy, are we're of dinosaurs. a certain vintage. Yes, yeah. we are dinosaurs. Um, but the next generation is expectant of this sort of stuff. And I get that. Um, I, I just think that if we're going to use it, and this has always been my argument with VAR, if you're going to use it and it's going to take three or four minutes, you've got to keep the fans informed yeah. inside the set. They can't be just be sat around twiddling their thumbs. Same with the players. Let's hear the conversations. That That's the first part of it, between the referee and the VAR, or the VAR and the assistant VAR, so we know what they're talking about in the first place. And when they've made a decision, surely the technology exists now to have those pictures that they've made that verdict on broadcast immediately, yeah. both for TV and for fans inside the It stadium. should be done straight away. And I don't know, I tend to think maybe um, the directors and the producers have been given direction not to, to do it too Possibly. quickly because it's the same as if you go to, even in Australia, you go to an A-League game and um, you can sit in a corporate box and you'll get a full replay. But... The ground replay for the punters, if there's a mm. dodgy decision, they don't get that replay. No, but they're the people who are paying their money. But the thing is, the reason they stop that is because of fan behaviour. So they don't want to get the fans rolled up. So it's like, where does it stop? You know, like I said the other day, mate, there'll be 100 years' time, there'll just be some head-type mm. shape sitting on a mantelpiece and football will be virtual. OK, as long as I don't get rid of commentators as well. Um, so, in your opinion, Cosy, you would like to see that rule change. Maybe half the ball needs to be yeah, that, in for play. me, that was out yesterday. Yeah. It, you know, for all intents and purposes, it looked well and truly out. OK. And, of course, Germany, 
went home on the back of that. So uh, if you've got any thoughts on that, uh, at Global Game SEN, that's our Twitter page. That's your hot topic for Guzman y Gomez, home of clean, healthy burritos, bowls that athletes say yes to. So let's talk uh, Socceroos ahead of that huge round of 16 clash with Argentina, or more specifically, let's talk Argentina a little bit and what we might expect. Uh, Cosi, that shock loss to Saudi Arabia on match day one of the group stage remains Argentina's only defeat of 2022. They've won 10, drawn one of the other 12. They've scored 31, conceded just four. 2021 Copper America champions, world ranked number three. Uh, and on top of all that, they've got probably the best player of the last 30 years in Leo Messi. Uh, is it as simple as, stay, as saying stop Leo Messi and maybe Angel de Maria, who's also a terrific player, and we're in with the shots? Well, it seems there's a bit of an injury cloud over Di Maria from what I've been reading in, mm-hmm. in some of the press. Um, it'd be nice to say yes. Um, that'd be great from our point of view. But the other side of me is from a football perspective, I want to watch him because um, I just love, I've always loved watching him. He's a great player. Um, look, Graham Arnold, uh, and I talked about it on the show yesterday, you can't set up your team just to stop Messi. Um, Arnie actually referred to Poland. Um, and they were absolutely hammered by Argentina. And Poland set up to stop Messi playing, and he still manages to find space. Everyone's described him as, as a genius. But, uh, I mean, there's been some really interesting... One of the coaches, and I can't remember who it said, um, said that if you want to stop Messi, you need handcuffs and a gun. <laughs> uh, but that's probably about right. He will find space no matter where he is. And mm. even if he's dead quiet for 20, 30 minutes, all of a sudden... He'll just pick up, he'll disappear, and then he'll just he'll, he'll appear out of nowhere, and all of a sudden a little bit of magic happens, and before you know it, you're a goal behind. So you can't set up to stop him. You've got to, we've got to keep our shape. Um, we've got to be aware of their strengths and weaknesses. Um, I said yesterday, and I still believe it, um, I think Graham will play two sixes, orthodox sixes. Keanu Bacchus? Yeah, I'd say definitely. Mm. Um and Jackson Irvine then is released to play a little bit further forward because Arnie also mentioned in the press, and you can read in between the lines, especially with a coaching background as well, um, that we've got to get in their faces. So we're going to play a little bit higher up the pitch. If we sit back and try and contain Argentina, Messi could dribble five blokes. Um, he doesn't have to play wall passes or, or find space because he's that good. So we have to play a little bit higher up the pitch. Jackson Irvine is far more suited, I think, um, if you look at when he went into that role the second half against Denmark, he was outstanding. He caused all sorts of problems just by driving forward. He, he loves being in that front half of the pitch and attacking. Uh, the six come eight roll where he's a little bit more defensive and has to get back into shape. Doesn't really suit him that well. So I would not be surprised to see Keanu Bakker start alongside them, Aaron Moy. And to be fair, Keanu Bakker was terrific he off was. the bench second half against Denmark. And, you know, talking of that denying the space, blocking the passing lanes, that is something that Australia in the last two games, OK, they weren't able to do it against France on match day one. Uh, they're the world champions. And maybe it's going to be the same against Argentina, who are of a similar level. But it's been something that they've been pretty good at so far in this tournament is keeping their structure and shutting down space. Well, it worked in the second half against Denmark because it made yep. it difficult for Ericsson. He had to go into different areas to find the ball. And if you're starting a bit deeper or starting a bit wider, Ericsson likes to start in central areas. If he can't receive the ball in central areas and then distribute from there, um, it changes their shape and their pattern of play. So it becomes a little bit more difficult. 
<coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> the cough's still there, Cosy. Uh, one more on this one, and then we can give you a break so you can get a strepsil in you. Um, uh, Graham Arnold, I've seen in the, the media today, has asked his players to be honest with regards to their readiness. Obviously, the, the very short turnarounds between these games. Australia put a lot into the last uh, two matches against Tunisia and Denmark. And he wants his players to look him in the eye and tell him if they're not ready to play. Just remembering back to your playing days, Cosy, and if you've got the chance to play in a round of 16 game at a World Cup against Argentina, even if you're feeling 1% less than your best, are you going to do that? No. Of course you're not. You're going to always be... Look, you'll get yourself up for it. Mm. But, I mean, players, they're, they're professional. They know whether it's... You know, they're good fatigued or bad fatigued. Mm. They'll know how far... What does that mean? Well, it's like good pain and bad pain. You know, when, right. you, when you're training or you've got injuries and you're starting to recover, that um, you get all sorts of pain. Good pain is it's healthy and you, you know it's not doing you any damage. Bad pain is when, you know, it's going to hurt and it's probably going to break down again. Okay. So players understand all of that. And like I said yesterday, um, we've got the best facilities available to us here at the Aspire Academy. It's, um, it's incredible. So the players would have all been massaged and treated. I mean, Arnie will also no doubt talk to... Andy Clark, the conditioning expert, uh, and he'll be talking to the medical staff as well and the massage staff as well. Mm. <laughs> there I go again, excuse me. That's all right. Uh, OK, don't forget to download Keep Up, the home of everything A-Leagues, and watch the new docuseries, A-Leagues All Access. Today on Keep Up, David Davutovich imagines a world in which Leo Messi grew up in Australia, a dream that very nearly came true. Plus, Nick Durbano speaks with Western Sydney Wanderers skipper Marcelo about what makes watching Brazil at the World Cup so special. That's all on the Keep Up app or at keepup.com.au. You're listening to The Global Game at the World Cup thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsors of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. Leaves it off, the shot is buried! Back of the net! Shakiri scores for Switzerland! Blasting down the wing. Mitrovic equalizes for Serbia. It's a costly turnover oh. on halfway for Switzerland. Closing on the 18. Blavic! Oh my word! Blavic! Song Hyun Min plays it through to the feet, and South Korea has the goal that could get South Korea into the round of 16. Unreal. From one end to the other, orchestrated by the best player in Asia, Song Hyun Min, and Huang Hee Chan slides it past the goalkeeper. Halfway and now spraying early ball into the penalty spot, and just like that, it is the man. It had to be a Bulbacar tucks a knee hitter low and to the right of Edison, and Cameroon lead Brazil. Welcome back to the Global Game at the World Cup. Thanks to Kraken.com, your secure crypto partner. Get in the game at Kraken.com. Broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. So, Cosy, let's uh, review the final batch of group games at the tournament. Four to get through. Uh, let's start with the early kickoffs in Doha on the final match day. Uh, Uruguay defeating Ghana by two goals to nil in Group H. They finally found their shooting boots. 
a double from Jorgen de Araskayeta giving them the win but uh, too little too late because South Korea snatched the points against Portugal it was too and it was almost cruel for Uruguay but they've got a you know they, they carried on there's been some talk about the way they behaved after the game complaining mm. to the referee because there was a couple of well I wouldn't call them dubious calls for penalties because I don't think they were penalties um, but the fact is they've got enough quality in that squad to have not been in a situation where goal difference could have made a different, a big difference or such a difference mm. at the end. And uh, look, they played well, but like you said, they found their shooting boots, but it was too little too late and they had enough opportunities to actually win that game by more than two goals and they should have taken them. You mentioned those rather ugly scenes at the final whistle, the players surrounding referee Daniel Siebert uh, protesting against what they believed uh, should have been two penalties awarded. This is the... I, I love watching Uruguay play because of their intensity on the pitch. They've oh, their got passion undoubted quality. But that passion sometimes spills over, doesn't it? Yeah, look, they went a little bit too far. Um, you know, I look at, take, take Cavani's pen, for example. He was in a position where he could have taken that ball and driven into the box. He went looking for the foul. Mm. Um, and that's why he didn't get it. Uh, Valverde was a one that was that was probably one that maybe I thought may have gone in their favour mm. because he was legged and I don't think there was contact with the ball. Um, but once again, and it gets back to um, the way I've always thought, you've got to try and stay on your feet as long as you can in the box as a striker. Once you start looking for that foul, unless it's really really obvious, um, you're not going to get anything out of it, and that's exactly what happened last night. So the Uruguayans on the plane home, uh, that coach Diego Alonso, incidentally, blaming a penalty awarded in the previous game to Portugal by uh, our own Ali Reza Fagani after a VAR review. He believes that's the reason why Uruguay uh, are heading back to South America. Um, sometimes you've got to take responsibility yourself, haven't you? And say, sure well, do. we just weren't good enough. Uh, the reason why Uruguay are heading home, of course, is because South Korea stunned Portugal uh, who were already through at Education City in the same section. Uh, a stoppage time goal from Huang Hee Chan after Ricardo Horta had put uh, a much-changed Portugal in front early, Kim Jong-Guan with the equaliser. Uh, that's three AFC nations, Cosy, into the last 16. The first time that's happened, and outside of the eight European nations that have qualified for the last 16, uh, Asia is the next best region represented, which is terrific for it's our backyard. sensational. And the way South Korea went about their business last night was was great as well. That goal, the the winning goal, was was of such quality. Uh, and, you know, Song Lung Min, he was so calm and composed to slip that little pass through. It's just a, they're just a decent side. And I'm glad they actually got through because I've been feeling a bit sorry for them because... We're through. Japan are through. Um, they were like the, the sort of lost cousins. Well, <laughs> they're not. They're joining us here, and it's great. Yeah, and Huang Ki Chan has been under a bit of an injury cloud as well. So uh, great to see uh, the Wolves striker get on the score sheet. Their rather dubious reward, Cosy, is to meet Brazil in the last 16. Are, are there any chance the South Koreans? Well, you look at the way that they came back last night, and Portugal played well when they started Ronaldo. There was some injury cloud or doubts about him starting the game, but. Um, Look, they, they went about their business quite well. They were a solid side. What they have to get, I think, is like a lot of, I guess, the Asian teams, is consistency across the 90 minutes. You know, they had moments where they, they were just right on the back foot and couldn't get a hold of the game. But they fought to the death, and that's that's the redeeming feature of a lot of the Asian countries. If you think about it, you put it in those terms, in pure footballing terms, they're good as well. But they've got that warrior instinct. And mm. um, the way results have gone in this World Cup, Simon, anything could happen. 
Well, anything could and probably did happen in the game between Switzerland and Serbia. Five-goal thriller at Stadium 974 in Group G. Uh, of course, this was pretty much winner-take-all. Uh, Serbia out. They finished bottom of the section. And yet, strangely enough, they've scored five goals in their three games. That's more than any of the other three. It was a cracking game of football. It was really, really good. I'm glad I tipped the Swiss. It, um, it was. They were sensational. It almost could be considered dark horses because they were quality. The three goals they scored were of the highest quality. Serbia scored a couple of great goals themselves, but I think they're going to rue that game against Cameroon. It was it round one or round yeah. two? Where they threw away a two-goal lead in, in the space of three minutes, 63rd and 66th minute. Um, three points then instead of the one uh, would have made a big difference and would have uh, take, maybe lightened the load on their backs last night. Yep, their uh, defence has been their Achilles it heel. Is. Eight goals conceded during those three games uh, to go with the five scores. Uh, they did pair Alexander Mitrovic and Dusan Vlajevic together for the first time and didn't last work? night. And it worked, didn't it? They both scored, but uh, if you can't keep them out the other end, uh, Sherdan Shakiri, Bree Embolo with his second of the tournament, and Remo Froehler ensuring the Swiss go through in second. They now meet Portugal in the last 16. Uh, it ended on slightly sour note. A granite Shaka uh, alleged to have made another gesture towards the Serbian bench, grabbing his testicles. Uh, if that is proven to be intentional, then he could be in a spot of bother. Anyway, the final game uh, was at loose sale. In Group G, Brazil nil, Cameroon won. An injury time winner from uh, the Cameroon skipper Vincent Abubakar, uh, ending Brazil's 100% winning streak. Showed they are human, even if they did make a, quite a few changes. Yeah, look, they made changes and they still completely outstated Cameroon. Having said that, I watched you know bits and pieces of the game flicking back and forth, but Cameroon are a great team to watch when they're in full flight. Mm. Um, and the goal they scored was good quality. The ball that was knocked in for Abubakar to score that, that last minute, second win, it was, was sensational. Mm. Um, and the poor guy, he's, uh, he's gone off to celebrate and took his shirt off and got the second yellow. And, and the red, the, the look of resignation on his face as he was walking off was like, yeah. he, he didn't care. Um, they're through, and that's what's important. Oh, they're not through. No, they're not through. No, and but... I think that's why he didn't care, because yeah. he knew that, uh, because they were clearly aware of the, uh, the scoreline from the game between Switzerland and Serbia, all simultaneous kickoffs, of course. Uh, Brazil go through as group winners, and as mentioned, they will play South Korea in the last 16. Uh, thanks, Cosy, for the moment. Before the break, let's head to Liam Clancy for the latest odds, thanks to Betfair. Find better odds on the World Cup, thanks to Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1800 858 858. Well, we're down to the final 16. Now, we've got through the group stages and Australia are there in the knockout stages. We'll look at them in a moment. But the early match has the Netherlands at $2, the United States at $4.70. Two on the draw at the end of regular time, even though we will have a winner, $3.40. The draw is there. Then when you get to 6 a.m., it is the big one, Australia versus Argentina. And Argentina justifiably all the rage at $1.24. Australia at $16 have been easing out. The draw is at $7.40. Australia, obviously, with the chance to, to take that to extra time or penalties. The overall title race is a 
Sydney, Spain, Portugal, even Brazil, admittedly, in a dead rubber overnight. Brazil at $3.40. Still clear favourites. Argentina, second favourite at six twenty. Then you got France and Spain, the other two in single figures. England and Portugal are the others that are given a really good chance. Croatia have come in a little bit. And Japan, the move is in from 500 to $90 after a terrific group stage of the tournament. You can find all of the analysis thanks to Stats Insider at the Betfair Hub. That update thanks to Betfair. Don't settle for the odds given. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1800 858 858. You're listening to the Global Game at the World Cup thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsors of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. So, Cosy, let's preview the other round of 16 game place taking place on Saturday. Um, the Netherlands against the USA, that's at the Khalifa International, the early kickoff. Uh, the Dutch have possibly flattered to deceive just a little bit so far at this World Cup. They've had a bit of stick from their own media, but they've won their group quite comfortably. Do you expect them to account for the Americans or not? I think flattered to deceive is an understatement. I think they they struggled through their group. They came top and it looks great. Uh, but you go to game one um, against Senegal. They only won that in the last 10 minutes. And Senegal outstated them completely more shots. Um, I think they only had two shots at goal in that game over the 99 minutes it went for. Um, game two... They, um, against, sorry, it was Ecuador. They had the two shots. They struggled against Ecuador. They got a draw. Mm. Uh, and they were completely outplayed there as well. But, um, and then they went on to their next game, and that was Qatar. And it was game over after that. Qatar out of the competition. They won it quite comfortably 2 0. So they sort of picked up cheap points, if you know what I mean. USA, on the other hand, I think did really, really well in their group stages. They had a tough group. They played um, Wales in game one, smashed them in the first half. The Walsh got back in in the second. They got a draw. Um, equal spread of the stats. They did exceptionally well against England. Really, really well. You saw that game live, Simon. Yes. They, they were 100 miles an hour, though, Adam. Um, you know, so they played well. And if, and then they beat Iran, which is a was a fairly tough encounter because Iran had everything to play for their, their position. Oh, their, their progress into the next round was on the line and the Yanks beat them. So it, um, they played exceptionally well. I look at their midfield. Um, they've got Pulisic, Adams, McKinney and um, Musa. Yeah. Who, Musa plays at Valencia. He's an unbelievable footballer. He's a beast. Um, and they're dynamic. They get stuck in. They're, they're physical. They're quick. They're aggressive. But they can actually play a bit as well. They've got a lot of energy, haven't they, in that midfield? And, I mean, the game against England that I saw, their pressing was so good and so structured and coordinated that England just could not get out. Um, And obviously the Dutch are going to encounter a similar problem. Uh, The the Dutch media, and we talked about this the the other day, have labelled the Netherlands as being a boring team. And that's, I mean, that's the cardinal sin in Holland, isn't it? You can win, but you've got to win in a certain amount of style because that's what they're used to after the the likes of Johan Cruyff and then Hullet van Basten, Rijkaard, etc. in uh, in the 80s and 90s. There has to be a certain style about it, and I'm not sure Louis van Gaal is uh, is producing that. I don't think Louis van Gaal cares about style. He doesn't. He's a wily old fox. Look, I I could I I could tip USA to win this, and I think they might, but don't underestimate Louis van Gaal. But um, in terms of the Dutch and their style, it's great. They have great style, but they haven't won anything Mm. for a long time. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, where's the trade-off? This is a really strange World Cup. Uh, and if the Americans get in their face and get them on the back foot early, I think they're going to find it really, really tough going. Okay, so I'm going to ask you for a prediction, Cosy. Are you going to stick your neck out and go for the Americans? I'm going, to, I'm going to go for the US. Wow, okay. That will almost certainly mean the end of the road, you'd imagine, for Louis Van Hall if that uh, well, turns out to be the case. No, that's true. He's been there before. Uh, thanks for the moment, uh, Cosy. Uh, we're just the one game to preview. We thought we would catch up with... Uh, Michael Church from the Asian Game podcast and have a bit of a chat about uh, how he thinks the AFC nations have gone at this World Cup. I caught up with him for that chat at the Souk Wakif a little bit earlier on today. So, Michael, uh, the Asian teams at the World Cup, uh, it's been a, a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, what's, what's been your overall take on the AFC team's performance? Um, it's been a total roller coaster. <laughs> I mean, it's just been up and down all over the place, really. Um, you know, last night's game, Japan against uh, against Spain, was just. Uh, just uh, I'm still quite bewildered by it. With a, with a, just a, a, a real lack of sleep after finding everything from it, and still, still, frankly, trying to get my head around it. It was, it was quite an incredible result to see Japan not just beating Spain, who obviously won the World Cup in 2010, and have a have a host of players but also eliminating Germany as well four time four time world champions and looking at it just from a, a Japanese perspective I mean this is I think unquestionably Japan's best performance ever at a World Cup and certainly that Spain result was I think probably the country's best ever result in the, in the game ever. And, and yet, um, strangely, Hajime Moriyasu was under quite a bit of pressure going into this World mm. Cup, even during uh, the campaign, particularly after the loss to, to Costa Rica. Mm. Has that won over the Japanese fans, do you think, this qualification? Uh, that's a really good question. I think, I think there's still... I mean, look, ultimately it's a results business, right? When you come to a World Cup, it's about winning, it's about getting to the next round. And when the draw was, when the draw was done and, and, and Japan were drawn with, you know, in, in the group that they, 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 they were in with Spain and Germany, everybody was like, tough group, they'll do well, they'll perform well, but they'll, but they'll not go through. And to, to not just go through, but to win the group, and to win the group having lost to Costa Rica, well, they were abysmal. I mean, they were, they were, it was, it was, I would say, if last night was the best result Japan's ever had at a World Cup, the performance against Costa Rica in the, in the seven World Cups that they played in was easily the, their worst, their worst performance. Um, so will he have won people over? Well, he's, there's a lot of sceptics about his about his tactics, about his approach. He's very conservative. And certainly it was a bit of a smash and grab last night, as it was against the Germans. But it's, 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 it's dramatic. It's thrilling. It's, it's done in a fashion that, you know, OK, they shut up shop for 45 minutes and then they go for it in the second half, somewhat. Um, and, it's, and it's been effective. So, yeah, you know, everybody loves a winner, right? They sure do. Um, we're, we're talking before South Korea's uh, final group game, so we can't give an assessment on how they ended up at this World Cup. But uh, from what we've seen so far, uh, South Korea flattered to deceive a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they, they, they started with that nil-nil draw against Uruguay, and I think they're quite they're quite hampered by the fact that that uh, Son Heung-min maybe isn't quite 
and it's, it, he's not quite where he would normally be. And I think that's that's not necessarily because he's got this facial injury and he's wearing the mask. But he's been out of sorts all season. He had that great season last season in the Premier League. He was joint top scorer along with, alongside Mo Salah. Um, and, and even for Tottenham this season, he's not really clicked. He's not really. And I, and I think he's maybe suffering a bit of a hangover from that. That's carried over into this. Then he's got the facial injury. He's wearing the mask. And then on top of that, when he plays for Korea, if the Korean team doesn't click and if, if they're not... If they've not got a full strength starting 11, I don't think the Koreans don't have the depth. They're missing Huang Yi Chan uh, from Wolves, who is an important part of that attacking unit that they have. Mm. And when there's one player missing from that. But also, I've, I've never been wholly convinced by Pablo Bento. I'm not entirely sure he really plays the kind of dynamic football that is that is most suiting to the players that he has. You look at players like Lee Kang In, who came on against against Ghana when they lost 3-2. They were 2-0 down. Uh, Kang In came on, and within a handful of minutes they were they were back level and that was all sparked by him and he's a player who who Bento never looks like he's ever really trusted um, so it'll be interesting to see actually today whether 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 Canyon starts but yeah they've they've, they've been disappointing but I, look before the tournament I had pegged them to, to go through but since they've been here they've been a bit one-dimensional the last five ten minutes of the game against Ghana where it was just continual just the same high long ball into the box there was no var- variation there was no variety there was no change of tempo and you know the Ghanaians just they just you know they, they, they stood there and just kept nodding the back out again and you know it was it was disappointing but it wasn't it wasn't wholly unexpected that's it from Cozzy and I in Doha today. Good to hear from Michael Church. Uh, the rest of the day's World Cup news from Qatar is coming up right after this short break. Plays it backwards. It was a bit shallow for Pepe. You have to come up a long way, but it's worked out for Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo saved, and it's been pushed wide by Kim sung On the right flank, low cross comes in, blocked away by Kim Young-Gwan. Vitinha wants another strike again, another save. And Cristiano Ronaldo's header on the rebound is directed wide. Now they're looking for an early goal here. 13 and a half minutes gone. No score. Alvin. He's about to Fred. Fred's going to drift it to the back post. Martinelli and on goal. Good save of Bassi. High into his left and he palmed it over the bar. Was it centrally by Martinelli? But he ghosted and unmarked and gives a thumbs up to Fred for picking him out. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the global game across the stations of SEN. Alex Molchanoff with you for today's daily update and what a big one it is. Australia's first game, first knockout game at a World Cup since 2006 comes up later tonight. The Aussies taking on Argentina, aren't we pumped up? We heard Cozzy and Simon there previewing that game. We're so, so pumped as every Australian football fan is for tonight's game. You just heard the great saves of last night for Schnitz. Wraps, burgers, schnitzels, chips, schnitz at your way this season. Schnitz, handcrafted schnitzels. Well, Graham Arnold, he's been the star of the show. We put that poll up a little bit earlier in the week about if this is the greatest achievement that the Socceroos have made under any manager. Riley Rasic in 74, Ange Postacoglu winning the Asian Cup in 2015. There's certainly been some history made along the way. Of course, Gusinic in 2006, the last man to get Australia out of the group. Arnie was his assistant then. He's in charge now, and he spoke to the media earlier today about what it's going to mean to take on Argentina and how to stop Lionel Messi. Yeah, look, uh, <clears throat> obviously very exciting to be here, and uh, we're looking forward extremely to the game uh, tomorrow and uh, doing our nation proud again, and that's the most important thing. <clears throat> no, look, I think, uh, you know, when I think back to my playing career, it was one of the highlights of my life being able to play uh, World Cup qualifiers against uh, 
Argentina, uh, in, in Australia and, and in Buenos Aires. But, uh, you know, we've uh, obviously we've had a, a few games now with Argentina. We beat them in 1988, 4-1 in the Gold Cup in Australia. And, uh, you know, and I just think that, uh, and also with the Olympic team, we beat them only last year, 2-0. Um, I just think that Argentina bringing the best out of Australia. And, uh, you know, our performances every time against Argentina has been very strong and very good. And, uh, as I said, um, you know, we go into the game with a lot of belief and uh, a lot of energy and focus on ourselves and our job. And, uh, as I said, it's uh, for me, it's a, a big one percenter to be playing against them because uh, they'll bring the best out of us. You know, the past, uh, the, the group games are past us now, and it's, uh, obviously it's a whole new ball game now. It's a, a one-off game, and uh, anything can happen in one-off games. And, you know, there's no disrespect to Argentina or anything at all, but uh, it's it's uh, 11 v 11, and it's 10 blue shirts against 10 yellow shirts, and uh, it's a battle, it's a war, and we've got to fight that and uh, make sure that uh, and the boys are in, uh, you know, great physical shape, great mental shape. They've got great energy and... Uh, we go out there with uh, and, and give it all guns blazing. Yeah, we said we will do our best to win the game. We respect Argentina for sure, but uh, first and foremost, <clears throat> we can't focus just solely on them. I do believe the short turnaround is uh, an advantage for us because it doesn't. We don't sit for five days wondering about and thinking about the opposition or Argentina. So it's, uh, you know, it's, we, we, we have that respect for them, but we also have to respect ourselves and, and what we bring to the table. And, and, you know, we know what their strengths are and, and we've got to take them away from them to have a, a great chance to win this game. Good thing he had this man sitting alongside him as well. Might be able to help with that little problem that Leo Messi is going to pose the Australians tomorrow. It's Harry Sutsar. He's been one of the stars. He's apparently receiving interest from Premier League clubs now, which is just fantastic. It would be so, so great to have a soccer back at a Premier League club. And Harry Sutsar could certainly be in that position come January. Here's what he had to say on taking on Argentina as well as playing for the Socceroos and what it's meant to him during this cup run uh, yeah listen we know it's going to be uh, a difficult task um, obviously we respect the player massively um, but I don't think it's uh, just an individual thing I think it's got to be a team collective um, we've got to be you know on our game 100% um, you know we've got to be switched on at all times um, and be alert to every situation because yeah it's going to be it's going to be a team effort and a team collective I don't think it can come down to just one individual trying to stop them for Belgium the Red Devils out of the tournament trailing Morocco and Croatia couldn't find a way past the Croats across 90 minutes and it really summed up a disappointing tournament for Roberto Martinez's side he spoke to the media after the game confirming that this tournament will be his last in charge of the Red Devils that, that was my last game with the national team and it's, it's emotional as you can imagine I can't carry on <laughs> sorry I never look that way. Yeah. I look at, um, I'm a person that I like to build things. Uh, I've been six years in the national team. I arrived with a clear job of qualifying for the World Cup and participating in the World Cup. And then you get so engaged with the project. You get so engaged with the people behind the players. And then we finish with a bronze medal, as you can imagine. And it felt that 
we had to give it another go, um, and it's been a real joy. We've been able to build an incredible legacy. I know that a lot of people only see legacy by winning a major tournament, and I see it in a different way. I'm so proud of these players. We had, when I arrived, the young Kulemans was the record holder, and uh, now we got almost eight players that they got over 100 caps. And we got players that they set real standards. And I'm looking in the dressing room now. Amadou Onana, a player that has earned the right to be a starter in this team. Uh, Jeremy Doku, you saw the impact that he had today. I'm looking at Zeno Devast. I'm looking at Yuri Tillemans. I'm looking at players that they are growing and they're learning from, from this generation. So it's been amazing. It's been six years that um, we've been able to do everything that uh, you want to do in a club. We did it in a national team, makes me extremely proud, and we loved um, the way that this team has played and, and is giving everyone uh, an incredible joy. And the real fans in Belgium, they appreciated what this generation are doing, and it's, it's the time for me to, to take, uh, to accept that this is the, the last game. So it's all coming up. 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, Australia versus Argentina. Our coverage tonight across the stations of SEN starting from midnight overnights with Paul Sebastiani, who's been doing a fantastic job. That'll turn into the SEN Football Hub from 1.30 a.m., counting down to the Netherlands versus USA, the first of the knockout games in this World Cup, and then the big one, Australia versus Argentina, 6 a.m. If you're out there, if you're driving around, whatever you're doing, lock on to SEN. You'll be able to hear that game from 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll be back to wrap it all up. Good or bad? Good or bad? The Socceroos taking on Argentina. Simon and Cozzy with you from 9pm across the stations of SEN. Of course, you can always catch us on the podcast. If you haven't already, go and have a look for that. Just search Global Game SEN wherever you look for your good podcasts. And as well as on Twitter, you can get us at Global Game SEN. That's the best way to stay up to date with what we're bringing you every day. There's a full chat with Martin Lowe from the Asian Game Podcast. You heard a little bit of that earlier. You can hear the full chat with Simon at the Souk Wakif. The two getting that interview done. It's fantastic to hear everything happening on the ground from Simon and Cozzy. We'll be back tomorrow, 9 o'clock, or you catch us on the podcast. I've been Alex Molchanoff for the daily update. Go the Socceroos. Enjoy tonight, whatever happens. Enjoy your football as always.